Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Everybody wants my sweat rag. What's up with that? I only have to bring one, and y'all, what's what's going on with that? Here we go, uh, this uh, this thing again. Help, help me, babe, or somebody. Um, I, I played last week for you uh, a video, Jailhouse Rock, when Elvis was young. But this week, man, I'm short, but I'm not that short. Come on now. Uh, but this week, this was his last live performance, just about two months before he passed away. Could you see the difference? Uh, if you go on and watch the rest of this video, he couldn't even remember the words. That's why you couldn't understand him. He couldn't remember the words. In fact, in one song, he pulls out a sheet of paper and has to read the words while he's singing. He was so far gone. But I told you last week, for some reason, people just think that Elvis was the king. And, and for whatever reason, he sold over a billion albums over the course of his career. And I guess his, his, his career is still going because people are still buying his stuff and, and still flocking to Graceland. And, but I also told you that Elvis didn't accomplish all that on his own. If you'll remember last week, I told you that Elvis had a band, and this band, he, he began to call them the Memphis, Memphis Mafia, and Priscilla didn't like that, so he came up with a different name, and he decided to call them TCB, and he put it on everything. And most of you that are as old as I am, uh, remember seeing it on the pendants and on the rings and on his jet, and it's on his tombstone that I showed you last week. And it was everywhere because it, it became the driving motto of Elvis's life. And I told you last week that those same three letters, TCB, have significant uh, impact for us as well. Because as believers, we're not just called believers, we're called priests. Remember we talked about that last week, that the New Testament says that we're priests. And it's not the idea of the fact that you're part of the Catholic Church and you have rosary beads. No, we are a priest. We are servants of the Most High God. And with that, there comes huge responsibilities. And so I began a journey last week talking to you about in the Old Testament that the priests every day had responsibilities or duties that they had to take care of. And so we began to talk about that. And last week I told you that the first thing that they had to do was diagnose sickness in the camp. That that was one of their main responsibilities was to get into the camp and find out who was sick and provide remedy. And I told you that we failed to take care of business in that area for several reasons, five reasons. Do you remember what they were? The first one is, is we don't diagnose sickness correctly because we aren't healed ourselves. We find ourselves in such a sick condition and we come and we sit in church week after week and we never apply the medicine that we hear about and so we find that we're sick and I told you that healing is not a passive process. You're not going to get well just because you're sitting in a church every week. You've got to take some steps, the necessary steps to get well, to improve and so we don't get other folks well because we're not well. The second thing I told you was that we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't notice anybody else's sickness because we're so caught up in me. Uh, everything's about me. And can I get my blessing on? And can I get my praise on while everybody else around us is sick and dying and we don't even recognize it? I told you the third reason that we don't take care of business is because we don't really want to get close to anybody. We, we don't mind emailing and we don't mind texting and we don't mind uh, electronic chat, but we don't want to really get involved in somebody's life and find out the dirt in their life and the problems of their life. We just don't want people to get too close. Uh, I'm already preaching. I know I preached it last week, but I'm preaching again. How many of you got involved in each other's lives this week to find out who's sick and who's not? 
We don't like to take care of business in this area because we're afraid of contamination. What they have might rub off on me. And I just challenge you again this morning that we need to quit operating out of our weakness and begin to operate out of our strength and take care of somebody else's sickness. And then the last thing I mentioned to you was that we don't take care of other people's sickness because we're afraid they'll look at us and say, I need a remedy. Can you supply a remedy? And I told you that the second responsibility that a priest had was to transport glory because the truth is, is that the remedy that they need is not a program and it's not a a book and it's not a tape. What they really need is to get into the glory of God. And it is your responsibility as a priest to transport that glory out of this building into your lives. How many of you have a sore back this morning? Your back ought to be kind of sore this morning because you've been carrying the glory of God all week long. That brings us to this morning. There are several other responsibilities of the priest. We're going to look at two more this morning. In Exodus chapter 35, we're going to read about some of the responsibility of the priest and and what happens here. In Exodus chapter 35 and beginning in verse 30, it says this, And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, Jehovah hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise skillful works to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in the cutting of stones for setting, and in the carving of wood, to work in all manner of skillful workmanship. And then in chapter 38, verse 1 through 7, it says, this is talking about Bezalel, it says, He made the altar of the whole burnt offering from acacia wood. He made it seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high. He made horns at each of the four corners. The horns were made of one piece with the altar and covered with a veneer of bronze. He made from bronze all the utensils of the altar for the altar, the buckets for removing the ashes, shovels, basins, forks, and firepans. He made a grate of bronze mesh under the ledge, halfway up the altar. He cast four rings at each of the four corners of the bronze grating to hold the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and covered them with a veneer of bronze. He inserted the poles through the rings on the two sides of the altar for carrying it. The altar was made out of boards. It was hollow. And then in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, it says, God spoke to Moses, Command Aaron and his sons and tell them, These are the instructions for the whole burnt offering. Leave the whole burnt offering on the altar hearth through the night until morning, with the fire kept burning on the altar. Then dress in your linen clothes with linen underwear next to your body. Remove the ashes remaining from the whole burnt offering and place them beside the altar. Then change clothes and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Meanwhile, keep the fire on the altar burning. It must not go out. Replenish the wood for the fire every morning. Arrange the whole burnt offering on it and burn the fat of the peace offering on top of it. Keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. The priests every morning and every evening had a responsibility. They had to approach this bronze or brazen altar every morning and every evening and they had to make a sacrifice and what you need to understand is is that this altar this brazen altar blocked progress into the holy of holies until you first stopped there come on now giving us a picture that you could not get into the presence of God. It would block your path. It kept you from getting around it. It was an obstacle that you had to deal with or you could not get into the presence of God. So every morning they had to go to this altar and make sacrifice. And 
making for us a, an, an illustration for us that, that you must deal with the sin of your life. There can no, not be access into the glory of God until there is holiness in your life. Every sin has to be dealt with. And I've said it to you like this before. I'll say it again. No altar, no presence. No time repenting of your sins, no presence. You must stop on a daily basis and deal with the holiness issue. I told you last week that we cannot transport glory because we don't seem to be able to live holy. And holiness is required to get into His glory. So the brazen altar blocked the path. We'll talk more about that later, but but what I want to draw your attention to this morning is the construction of this altar. Here is a replication of the altar that someone built. It's, um, it's all, the altar was made out of wood, but it was covered in a brass veneer. And all the instruments uh, were covered in wood or in, in brass. It was acacia wood. And it was a, basically a hollow box, hollow box covered in brass. It was overlaid there. But... It was about seven and a half feet square. It was about four and a half feet tall. But the thing I want you to catch this morning is that about halfway down that box, about where the poles are, there was a grate. Uh, 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 what could I use? Your barbecue at home. Uh, come on, guys. I know you got the biggest, baddest barbecue in the, in a whole town. I know how you are. You, you won't spend $3 on a suit of clothes, but you'll go spend about $9,000 on the barbecue grill, right? You got to have the best one. It's probably got a TV built onto it. I understand. But I know how it is. And so you got this. But you remember what happens? There's this grate on top that you lay the meat on and you cook, right? Same principle. About halfway down, there was this grate teaching us this. Hear me this morning. That the sin in our life is not a surface issue. It's all the time we want to come into God's presence and all we want to deal is, with is the symptoms and the surface issue and, and this problem and that problem. And we never get to the root understanding, hear me this morning, that the fire that, want, that must come into our life is a deep cleansing fire that goes deep down in the midst of who you are. We like to play church and just deal with the surface issues. But this altar teaches us that it's got to go deep. Come on, look at your neighbor and say there's something deep in you. God wants to get it out. So this grate was in there, and what they would do is they would lay the sacrifice on top of this grate, and they would, the, there was a fire under, under the bottom, and it would burn up. And, 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 you know, just like on your barbecue, what would happen? The, the meat would burn, but what would happen is they would burn the whole thing up. They would let it consume, and what would happen is the ashes would fall through the grate down to the bottom. And it was the responsibility in Leviticus, I read to you, that every day the, the priest would get up and they would put on special clothing, linen clothing, and they would go to this altar and they would take these special instruments, a, a bucket and a shovel, and they were specifically designed for one purpose. They would, they would gather all the ashes left over from the, the, the offerings the day before and they would gather them up and the Bible says they were to place it next to the altar and then they would change clothes and then they would begin what in essence was a funeral march outside of the camp, and they would dispose of the ashes forever. And that brings us to the fourth or the third responsibility of the priests and their duties every day. Number three was to remove the ashes. I want you to catch that this morning. They were to remove the ashes. Do you understand that the ashes, in essence, was the residue of yesterday? It's really quiet in here this morning. Y'all all right this morning? Y'all awake? Everybody, come on, wake up for me now. 
Because listen, we need to hear this message this morning. They were responsible every morning of their life for getting rid of the residue of yesterday. They understood that if they left the ashes there too long, what would happen is is that it would block the ability for the sacrifice to be consumed. The fire wouldn't continue to burn. The fire would go out. The fire would be consumed or overtaken by the ashes of yesterday. And what I want to say to you this morning is that as priests, we have a responsibility to get rid of the ash in our life. See, the truth is, is that ashes build up in us. The residue of your yesterday life build up in you. And if you're not careful, what happened to you yesterday? What happened to you six months ago? What happened to you four years ago? What happened to you 20 years ago can build up in your life. And if you're not careful, it will put your fire out. So I want to look at some of you this morning and say this to you. I can see the ash on you. See, the truth is, is we try to hide it. We try to put on a good show. But the reality for some of you is this, is that there is marks on you. There, there is an ashy residue from what you've gone through in your life. The hurt of your life shows up. I know you look really clean right now, and the makeup's on just perfect, and the hair's done just right. But the truth is, is that some of you have gone through some really tough things, and they have caused ash to be formed on you. That, that hateful word by that spouse look at some of you this morning and say this to you I can see the ash on you see the truth is is we try to hide it we try to put on a good show but the reality for some of you is this is that there is marks on you there there is an ashy residue from what you've gone through in your life the hurt of your life shows up I know you look really clean right now and the makeup's on just perfect and the hair's done just right but the truth is is that some of you have gone through some really tough things and they have caused ash to be formed on you that that hateful word by that spouse And so what we find is that you are marked and covered with ash. The residues of pain and brokenness and hurt. And if you're not careful, that ash will put out your your fire. See, I think probably of all the characters in the Bible, the one that is the most accurate to us and I've talked to you about him before, but I've got to go back to him again because I think he is the perfect, oh, I know he was called a man after God's own heart. And I know we put him up on a pedestal as this incredible individual, and he was. But the truth is, is that David was an ashy guy. Think about it. I, I was thinking about David, and I realized that he had it tough. Think about this in your own life. Apply this to your own life. He was overlooked by his own dad. How many of you have been overlooked by your own parents? Oh, I, I know some of you are getting on up there now. But some of you had parents leave, never come home, left you, abandoned you. You, you feel overlooked and rejected by your own father or mother. And what does it do is it, it creates ash. Uh, David was overlooked by his own father, but he was also underestimated and mistrusted by his brothers. How many of you have had a sibling look at you and go, man, they'll never amount to anything? Come on, I'm preaching real good right now. I'm getting in your mess right now. Because, see, some of you got ash all over you. David goes on, and th- this one blows, blows my mind. He's chased by a madman king, but not just any king, his father-in-law. Uh, okay, I know you might not have the best relationship with your in-laws, but when's the last time your father-in-law tried to slip something in your drink? 
When's the last time your mother-in-law tried to, to run over you when you were walking down the sidewalk? Come on, that was the reality of David's life. Running from his in-laws. They didn't just want to hurt him. They, he wanted to kill him. He threw a spear with the intent to kill him once and for all. That's a, that's a tough, that's a dysfunctional family right there if there ever was one. That's Jerry Springer ready right there. Come on, let this sink in this morning. What's causing ash in your life? See, David was, was chased by his father, but it gets worse. David was ridiculed by his own wife. Oh, I'm getting right in your own household now, aren't I? When's the last time your wife just said, mm-hmm, I know how you are. Ha, you'll not. Or maybe when's the last time the husband said, mm, you're not all that. Come. His wife laughed at him. David's best friends tried to kill him. They really thought about killing him. His own son betrayed him. Come on, parents. Some of you've got older children, and you think, man, I've done everything I know to do. I tried to raise them right. I tried to train them up in the way they should go, and now they rebelled, and they're not in church, and they're not living like they should, and you feel absolutely betrayed. And the reality of your life is this this morning. You are covered by ash. Let me ask you this morning, what caused the ash in your life? Maybe it was cancer. Maybe it was the cares of life. Maybe it was the concerns of life. Maybe it was family. Maybe it was friends. Maybe it was foes. Somebody's got it out for you and they want to destroy you. I don't know what causes it. All I know is that we walk around with lost love, lost hope, lost dreams, lost opportunities, and we find ourselves in the condition that David was in. We are ashy. But David figured something out. I don't know how he figured it out. All I know is he must have figured it out because we got to get to where David got and run to what David ran to. Because in Psalms chapter 113, verses 7 through 9, David figures it out. He says, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. As bad as you're covered, as bad as it's been, although my father-in-law wants to kill me, although my son wants to take over my position, although my wife thinks I'm a joke, I realize that God can raise me up out of the ashes of my life. But it gets better than that. He says he seats them with princes, with the princes of their people, teaching us that he can take a nobody and make them somebody. Out of nothing, he can step in. And when I couldn't get anywhere, all of a sudden there is a way. And I can walk the way. And I can go where he says to go. And he will elevate me when I had no hope of getting there by myself. But it gets even better. He says, he settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord, teaching us this. Even though you may have had no offspring, spiritually speaking, for years and decades, the truth is this morning that he can get you off of your ash and you can walk out into victory and he can produce freedom in your life and cause victory to overtake you. Come on, look at your neighbor. I know you want to do it. Just make sure you say it careful. But look at your neighbor one time and say, get off your ash. That's what God wants to do. He wants to elevate you. He wants to bring you up. Can I remind you, my favorite portion of Scripture, I think, in the whole Bible, I wonder, I've mentioned it before. My dad taught me this when I was a kid. I've never forgotten it. It's one of the most powerful portions of Scripture because it speaks to us in the ashiness of our life. See, I know we're men and women of God. I understand that. But the truth is, is a lot of us are like David, and a lot of us are like Job, and we find ourselves covered by ash. And, and so 
we need to run to this portion of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22, the prophet asked a rhetorical question. I haven't been in school in a long time, but I can remember in elementary school that a teacher taught me that when somebody asks a rhetorical question, it means you already know the answer. And in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22, the prophet says, Is there not a bomb in Gilead? We're supposed to know the answer, and the answer is absolutely. There is a bomb in Gilead. His name is Jesus. Why does that speak to us in the ashiness of our life? What does that have to do with the problems and the bitterness and the pain and the hurts? Because it teaches us this. They would take the bomb, this tree that grew in Gilead, and they would grind it down and get the sap out of it, and they would apply it to open wounds, and there were two things it did. The first thing it would do is it would draw the poison out, and I want to tell you, some of you have got too much poison in your life. Oh, I know you can smile pretty when you come to church, but the truth is is that you've got poison deep down inside of you. And Jesus wants to step in and draw all the poison out. But the beautiful thing about that little sap that they would apply is it would do something else. It would cause that wound to heal up where there was no scar. Some of you have been hurt. I've been hurt. Some of you have been devastated. Brokenness. Some of you still... To this day, even though it happened years ago, cry yourself to sleep at night. And I would look at you and say, good news. He can cause you not only to heal, but he can remove the scar. I learned something on my own. I found out that the only place you could get that little tree was in Gilead. Guess what? Gilead, the word Gilead means rugged or raw. Let that sink in this morning to you out of the rawest place of your life out of the most destructive place of your life, out of the most painful moment of your life, when somebody betrayed you, when somebody hurt you, out of that raw place, God can bring healing. What you cover, He cannot heal. What you conceal, He cannot cleanse. What, what you hide deep so nobody else knows about it. God can't touch it. But the moment that we expose our ash to God, He steps in and lifts us out. Some of you need healing this morning. Your responsibility as a priest is to remove the residue of yesterday. Quit consulting your past to determine your destiny. What happened to you so long ago is what happened to you. That's not who you are. You have a responsibility before God to go back and get rid of the ash. And, and, and the truth is, is that you need to follow the, the pattern of the priest. The Bible said that they would go and they would change their clothes. And they would have a funeral march and get rid of it once and for all. Some say they would bury it in a secret place and some say they would throw it in a a specific creek that flowed down to the Sea of Galilee and they would dispose of it that way, signifying that it was washed away forever. But some of you need to have a funeral. Some of you have been dredging up the old pain and the whole hurts for months now and it doesn't seem to be getting any better and it won't as long as you dredge it up and try to relive it every day. Some of you need to change your clothes and have a funeral. 
I was reminded of David. Again, perfect example. You remember the story. David had an, uh, uh, an affair with Bathsheba, and they conceived, and she was going to have a baby. But Nathan steps in and says, David, you're the man. And David repents. But God says, I'm going to strike you with judgment, and the baby will die. Do you remember what David did? He went, and he had a pity party. He begins to mourn, and he begins to cry. The Bible says he slept on the floor. He wouldn't get it. He wouldn't take a shower. He wouldn't clean up. He wouldn't eat. He was distressed. But the word came that the baby died. And guess what David did? He changed his clothes. He washed himself. I'll look at some of you this morning and say, it's time for you to change your clothes. You've been wallowing in self-pity long enough. You've been wallowing in what happened to you long enough. You've been dying by what happened to you long time ago long enough. It is time for you to get up and change your clothes. There comes a day when you've got to change your clothes and change your mind and change your attitude and do something different. Have a funeral. The fourth responsibility of the priest was this. They had to keep the fire going. Every day they had to keep the fire going. You need to understand that the fire at the brazen altar was started by God, but it had to be maintained by man. Come on now. God started it, but they had to keep it going. And the truth that that says to us this morning is that God will begin a fire in you, but it is your responsibility as a priest to keep that fire going. And how many of us sit around a dead fire Every day. We sit around a dead fire and settle for ashes instead of fire. And, oh, come on. I know we're a young congregation, but the truth is, is that some of us still sit around a dead fire going, boy, I wish they'd sing that old song. And I wish they'd do it my way. And I wish they'd do this method. And I wish they'd do that. And we sit around something that's been dead for years, and we don't realize we're calling out for ashes when we could have fire. Why do we sit around ashes and settle for that when God is saying that there's fire out there? See, the reality is the ash revealed that there was fire there one day and there was heat there one day and it was real. We don't diminish the fact that it was real, but the truth is it's out and it's time to move on. But the second thing a lot of us will do is we don't just settle for ashes. What we do, since there are ashes and there's no fire, what we want to do is we want to try to offer up strange fire. You remember in the Old Testament that Aaron's son, uh, Nabad and Abihu, they, uh, they offered strange fire. And you remember what happened? God killed them instantly. See, getting the real thing takes work. You have to get up every morning and stoke this fire. You have to get up every morning. It takes, oh, here it is. Here's the cuss word again. Discipline. And we have to work at this thing to keep revival. See, we settled for a fire, a fire six months ago or five years ago. And boy, that revival was good. And we, we push God off and say, that's all the fire we need. And then we offer him strange fire because it's easier. And he won't settle for strange fire. He won't allow us to say, God, this is easier. And, and I'll substitute something for the real fire because this makes me feel good. No, we have to push in and get the real thing an earthly relationship can't help you here. It takes a real encounter with God. Real fire with God. We must daily rekindle this fire. That's why in the New Testament, Paul speaks to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says it like this. In 2 Timothy chapter one, 6, verse 1, he says, And keep this, and the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. 
And the Greek word there, you know it in the King James, he says, stir it up. Do you understand what that means, stir it up? The Greek word there carries this idea of rekindling the fire, getting the, the poker and poking it around and moving things around. That's what it takes. Listen, church, I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you this morning, you, the fire won't stay burning if you don't do something. The fire that God has birthed in your life, we need fresh fire. The fire that God birthed in your life will not continue if you don't do something to keep it going. God starts it. Hear me. God starts it, but you are responsible for maintaining it. Let me just tell you a truth this morning. You're not going to like this truth, but I got to tell you. If your fire's out, it's not God's fault. It's ours. What's God telling us? He's saying, do this. Every day you ought to do a heat check. Oh, my basketball friends know what that means, right? You hit one or two threes, and boy, you're going to keep firing up. Everyone, you gotta, I got to take just one more just to see if I'm really as hot as I think I am. And most of us just need to do a heat check every once in a while and see if we're really as hot as we think we are. Because you know what I've discovered? Most of us are settling for ashes rather than fire. Your responsibilities as a priest, diagnose the sick, carry the glory of God. Three, remove the ash out of your life. And four, keep the fire current, up to date. Every day, I want you to stand with me this morning. pausing because I want this to sink into you this morning. Think about your life. Think about the pain of your life. What hurts you that's keeping you from making progress into His presence? Oh, I, I, I don't know if you've been there. I, I've been there. I'm raising my hands, going through the motions of what I'm supposed to do. Trying to get into His presence. And in the back of my mind, it plays like a videotape. They said this. They did that. They weren't supposed to do that. This wasn't supposed to happen. And the ash continues to build and suddenly I find myself with my hands up but I'm not in His presence. I've been blocked. And Father, this morning, maybe you sent me here to preach to me.
drop a bomb on me this morning. I want you to heal and remove the poison out of my life. That every scar would go away. I don't want to walk around scarred for the rest of my life. God, the comments that people have made about me years and decades ago and I should have forgotten about that I can still play as if it happened yesterday. Our problem is we don't know how to forget. Help us to forget this morning. God, I pray for my people. I pray for the brokenness of their life. I pray for my friends in this room that have been betrayed by the love of their life. I pray for my friends in this room that have been talked about. Comments have been made that were out of line and out of order wrong season at the wrong moment that has caused pain to grip our heart. God, I pray for my friends in this room that have been betrayed, that have been let down, disillusioned, broken, stabbed in the back. understanding that something was put down that we will never pick up again. So Father, right now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Father, I pray that you do deep heart surgery on us. That the balm of Gilead would be applied to us right in the rawest, most rugged place of our life. Some of our stories would cause others of us to shudder in amazement that someone could even endure the pain that they've endured. But this morning we lay all that down. We ask that it wouldn't become a root of bitterness in us. Help us to remove the ashes of our life. If you're here this morning and you feel covered by ash, covered by ash, pain, not sure you'll ever be able to trust again, not sure you'll ever be able to love again, not sure you'll ever be able to 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 depend on somebody again if that's you good news in the raw place he can help you I can't help you but he can if that's you would you do me a favor it's going to take guts. I understand that. But would you do me a favor? Would you just slip up a hand? I'm in pain. Yeah, I thought so. I didn't think I was the only one here. Church, look around you right now. Get your eyes open. Look around you. There's some hurting folks standing next to you. They need help. 
help them. You can love on them, but you can't bring a solution. But you can help them find the one that can. Will you get your hands on somebody and let's pray for them and love on them right now. Some deep-seated pains in their life this morning. God, right now we pray. Jesus right now, every hurtful thing that was said would be removed right now. Help us to deal with it and understand that out of that rugged place you can produce healing. Out of the deep-seated brokenness you can bring healing. Heal us this morning, God.
this week is this. Every time the enemy steps in and tries to remind me about the ashes of my life, what will happen is that instead my hands will go up. Because I realize I can't lift my hands to you if they're full of ashes. So, Father, every time we're driving down the road and the devil says, remember when, I'll say, "Uh uh-uh. I'll keep one hand on the wheel, but the other hand's going to be raised because I'm in his presence. I've gotten past the brazen altar. That ash has not built up. It's been dealt with. I had a funeral. It's over. And now I walk into his presence, able to get into his glory, into his presence and see change. Father, this morning I'm praying. I know what's going to happen. I know what the enemy tries to do. As soon as some of my folks get outside these doors, he'll try to bring them back into bondage to what was binding them in the the beginning. But Father, as a corporate body, we have the ability to bind and to loose. And so Father, this morning we bind every lie, every scheme of the enemy, and we say that he cannot spread that lie to us, and we refuse refuse to buy what he's selling. But Father, we also release this morning. I release hurt folks to freedom and to health. But I also release them to go out and find other folks who have been hurt. And to be able to have sympathy for them and the understanding of what they're going through. And to point them to the same remedy that we found. And the remedy that I found is Jesus. So help me to teach others in my daily life how to get rid of the ash of their life so that we can walk in freedom and in victory without a limp and without a scar. That's my prayer this morning. Rekindle the fire of our life. God, if our fire's gone out, let us do a heat check. Father, this evening I'm praying that my folks will do a heat check. Tomorrow morning I pray they'd wake up and do a heat check. Tomorrow night I pray that they would do a heat check. On Wednesday I pray that they would do a heat check. On Friday I pray that they would do a heat check. Father, when we come back on Sunday, I pray that the fire would be burning brighter and hotter than it is today. In Jesus' name. And Father, we declare this morning as a body, we love you. We thank you. I'm thankful this morning that I don't have a high priest who has no idea what I feel and what I'm going through. But instead, I have a high priest that understands completely what I go through on a daily basis. And not only that, he cares. He cares. He not only knows, but he cares. And I'm his friend. And he sticks close to me. And he heals me. And I give him praise this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before you leave, I want you to do this this morning. I want you to find two or three people and I want you to look at them and say to them, you look so much better with no ash in your life. (laughs) Daniel, you look better with no ash. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night for Passion University.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 